welcome to the Innovating Purpose podcast, where I'm striving to live intentionally and seeking clarity for new and young readers. Well, welcome to Newberg Friends Church, and thank you so much for joining us for this service and for a time of reading through God's Word and for prayer. Uh, It's a delight to be able to share this message with you today. Before we begin, I'd ask that you'd familiarize yourself with this passage. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 7 and the entirety of the, the whole passage, which is 60 verses. Now, if you want to pause right now and just familiarize yourself with what Stephen said, great. Or if you just want to read uh, a few of the verses and, and see what was happening, I would ask that you pause right now after I pray and read those together. So let's pray as we go into this time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for an opportunity we have right now to open your word, to be blessed by these stories that are so beautiful, so um, so good, and so good for the nourishment of our souls. And today I ask that as I read these passages, I've been thinking about the word blinders. And Lord, I ask that you would take the blinders off of my own eyes and my own heart and off of those that are listening today, that we would see some of our weakness and see the whole view of what you've called us to be and the people that you've called us to be. Help us to live into um, this calling. Help us to believe that we are the church and we are called to live differently. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us and that you sent your Holy Spirit to be amongst us. Thank you for those that are listening, that they would be blessed here and right now. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and take a moment to be with that passage. As we enter back from this really difficult story, I want us to be familiarizing ourselves with another scenario. Perhaps you've been here. You're sitting in a classroom, whether you were in elementary school or middle school, but I'm thinking the lower grade levels, and the teacher leaves the room for a few minutes. And somebody, maybe it's the class clown, or it's the kid that usually gets in trouble, somebody does something, whether they put a tack on the teacher's chair, or they write something on the, the chalkboard, or perhaps they... they uh, through a spit wad that's stuck to the ceiling. Then the teacher walks back in. And it's always amazing to see how proper and uh, perfect the, the children become as the teacher walks back in. It can be mass chaos, and then the moment the teacher walks in, everything stops. And then that dreaded question that the teacher asks, okay, who did it? And if you didn't do it, You know who did it. Some of the eyes in the room maybe jump to that person, but then the other dreaded side of it comes up because no one admits to it and no one blames anyone else. And the teacher says, okay, you're all going to be punished unless someone confesses. 
it's a terrible pickle to be in. This is a predicament that no, we all probably remember these moments as, a, as being a child that is put in these situations. I remember I never wanted to lose PE or I never wanted to lose um, recess or any of the, the things that I viewed as the fun aspects of school. Um, I didn't really enjoy all the subjects. I always wanted to go out for recess though. So when I would get in trouble, that was the dreaded thing that the teacher would take from me. It was that thought of, I'll do anything else. I'll do homework. I'll do anything, but please let me run around. Please let me burn off some energy. Well, as we enter into this story, there's an accusation that takes place. Um, And as I read this, it's hard for me to imagine what has just taken place. But I can begin to feel some of Stephen's feelings. Because there's a simple phrase that takes place in verse 1. It says, are these accusations true? His accusers, who if you read back in chapter 6, they've had some people lie about him and say some pretty difficult things. And really nothing has been truthful, but they've said some key words like Moses and the law and the temple. And they've used these words to try and throw him under the bus. And Stephen, rather than just saying these accusations aren't true, he does pretty much the unthinkable. He begins to school the religious leaders. He begins to take them to school on a subject manner that they knew word for word very well. He took them old school. He took them to the Pentateuch. He took them to the the history of the Israelite people. And as you were reading and glancing through, I want us to pick up in the story. I'm going to read just a little bit of verse 2, and then I'm going to jump to verse 48. So there's a lot there that I'm jumping past. But verse 2, it says, Then Stephen replied like this, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham. I'm pausing right there. We see that intro. We see that our glorious God appeared to Abraham. And then he begins to walk through, and he begins to describe Moses and David and many other characters. But now, let's go to verse 48. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands, as the prophet says. Verse 49, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Can you build me a temple as good as that? Asks the Lord. Can you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. 
His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Wow. Do we pause and appreciate this testimony from Stephen? A man bold in his faith. As I begin to teach and share some things that I am pulling away from this, may we not miss how powerful this story truly is. God's word is wonderful and it convicts us. And I think these words alone can convict me. And so I pray that they will convict you. I have three thoughts that I want us to work through. The first one is to live truthfully. When we are called to live in truth, accusations arise up. And so what do accusations do to you? How do they affect you? Well, it forces us to respond to the situation. If we respond negatively or with emotion or mentally we begin to dissect the situation, We can enter into a state of reaction and response that is not of the Lord. Or we can respond peacefully and thoughtfully. The key to a healthy response is truthfulness. Being true to yourself, not um, inflating the situation, not creating scenarios that didn't really happen, but just telling the truth. And patience through the entirety of the dialogue is so key. I ask that you would guard your hearts and your words and choose them wisely. We read this historical dialogue that takes place as Stephen shares before his accusers and we see his approach. If someone were putting me on trial and they said, are these accusations true? Would I be so bold? I don't know. But what he does is he dedicates his final moments to connecting the story of Moses, Abraham, David, and many others. And he shows them in the midst of the religious courtroom, he reminds them that they could never be good enough. And in fact, those people of old, those, the hierarchy of fathers of the faith, could never be good enough to be before God. There was an old system. There was, and what he is reminding them is that it would take a new person to fulfill the old law, to bring them into right relationship with this, this Jesus. And he reminds them that you killed him. This wouldn't have been a distant memory. This would have been fresh on their minds. Stephen is so bold as to Convict them. You see, we, you and I, we needed something to satisfy the law. We needed a Messiah. And the general public did not know or understand who Jesus was, nor did they think that his life and his death would live on for thousands of years. 
They could never have imagined that this Jesus would live on. You know, in the day and age that we're talking about, the Romans were still in charge. The rulers were still on their thrones. Israel had not been returned to its former glory. So the prophetical words that this Jesus would, or this Messiah would change things, everything kind of looked the same. There was no new king on the throne. Caesar hadn't been overtaken. Potiphar was still around. The religious leaders were still controlling the courtrooms. Everything was going the same way. The reality is that nothing was really different since that miracle worker, that prophet man, Jesus, had walked the earth. All appeared to be normal, except for those pesky disciples. They were willing to claim that this Jesus who had lived and died and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he was different. And they kept talking about him and the salvation that he brought. And he was saying that this salvation is available to everyone. That didn't work in the accusers' minds. This brings us to our second thought of the day. Why boldness is so vital and so important. I pray honestly and earnestly for us to have courage to live in faith, to live in truth. Boldness is one thing, but to be bold because you have the truth within you, that's worthy of our prayer and our focus. You see, Peter and Stephen, if you don't forget that Peter, just a few chapters ago, we, we read some of his words and how he communicated with the religious leaders. Peter and Stephen, they shared a common message. It was through Jesus, only through Jesus, that you could be saved. And they were bold in the face of their accusers. Throughout the entirety of this mock trial, we see that Stephen was experiencing false testimony after false testimony, false witness after false witness, people claiming that Stephen was not following God, that he was breaking tradition, that he wasn't listening to Moses and the law, and that he was actually showing disdain for the temple. Stephen is simply being asked if those accusations were true. He has a moment to stand up and try to save himself, but instead, he reminds them, as Peter did in chapter 4, verse 12, that Jesus is the only name by which you can be saved. And in chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, that Jesus is the ultimate redeemer who was crucified for them. Stephen is, in fact, it's almost a continuation of Peter's words. He walks them more historically through these different people that would have been interwoven into all of their teachings and their scroll readings. They would have brought up Moses and have had just a place in their heart for him because he was the pinnacle of their religious beliefs. The law was pure. So his entire speech was walking the council through these stories that they knew so well. It was a step-by-step -step guide to show how lost the Israelite people had been over the years, how desperately dependent they had been in need of a better way. They needed a savior. They needed the Lord of all creation, not just a savior for the Jews, but for all people. 
that had to be extremely difficult to hear from the leaders. But then he said, not just a temple for a place to come to once in a while to uh, check in with God, but asking the God of the universe to take up residency within you through the Holy Spirit. This was a mockery of all mockeries. God's temple was the Holy of Holies. It's where God had dwelled in the Old Testament times. It's where he had come down from heaven and been with his people as he had been with the people as he did these different miracles and parted the Red Sea and he led them as a fire by night through the wilderness. God resided in the temple. So when Stephen is saying, It's not the temple that he dwells. God dwells within you. This was blasphemous to these people. And the accusers, they proclaimed that the law was perfect, that the temple was being tarnished by Stephen, that Moses was being dismissed by Stephen, when that couldn't have been further from the truth. Stephen was articulately describing that God is bigger than any temple that we could build. He is more holy than any sacrifice that we could provide. And he doesn't need prophets, priests, or kings to declare that he is worthy of our praise. But he often uses people like Moses, people like David, to prove to us that we needed an ultimate, complete Messiah through this foreseen Messiah, Jesus Christ. So his boldness was a last-ditch effort to wake up the leaders, to shake them up, to to tell them, don't miss out. God has paved a better way, a more complete way. A new covenant has been created where God wants to be with his people and live within us. And he's basically saying to them, Remove your blindfold. And so my last thought today is, what blindfolds do we have on? When I think of a blindfold, I think of it in the sense of it's a hardening of your heart. You see, the Sadducees could only hear and believe that Jesus was false. That's all they could process. They couldn't look at the data as worthwhile or valid. Even though Stephen had articulately walked them from the beginning to leading up to Jesus, it didn't matter to them because they were trying so hard to close their ears off from anything that would take away from their sacred text. They were trying to protect what they believed to be the holy word of God. They couldn't comprehend a savior being like Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with this new covenant. The old covenant of sacrifice, law, works, you see, that was good enough for them. In fact, that was their occupation. That was their way of life, and it was their way. So Stephen was telling them, wake up. There's a new way, and it's more pure, and it's better. So I ask you, who or what has hardened your heart I, don't, I hope that none of you have walked so far away from God that you harden your ears and your heart and you can't listen to any of this. But I think there are different avenues, different parts of my heart that have gotten hard over the years. So what, what am I unwilling to fix in my own heart and in my own ways? Am I willing to be patient through the pauses of life 
and wait for the still small voices. As I read this text, I ask myself, what kind of blinders were the religious leaders wearing? Have you ever seen a, a horse that is racing uh, down the racetrack? And if perhaps you've even seen a racehorse that has blinders on. They're very tunnel visioned because a horse can obviously see peripheral vision. But when they put these blinders on, it focuses the horse on the prize. It focuses the horse on staying in its lane, staying the course, and not focusing on anything else that could startle it or get it off course. I imagine these Sadducees and Pharisees, that they have these really big blinders up when they were listening to Stephen. And as he was speaking, the message was so hard for them to comprehend that they just couldn't stay engaged with him. There was no way that he was right. You see, he didn't fit into their pretty neat little uh, temple box that they had created and how God was supposed to be worshipped and how sacrifices were supposed to happen. You see, Jesus didn't play by their rules. They saw the law as sacred and holy, but Jesus fulfilled the law. But they couldn't dismiss the law. I see these Pharisees and Sadducees as filled with the blinder of jealousy and anger and tradition. They couldn't see past the dogma they had studied and heard and read and understood for their whole life. They were completely content that this Jesus thing would go away. They felt righteous in their convictions to shut it down. That this was a threat to their existence and to their livelihood. Can we even comprehend how great the reward is for those who worship and follow God? His throne, his temple is the resting place, and it is enough for us. It completely satisfies us. And it, it doesn't come through our labors and our efforts and our sacrifices. It is a free gift from God to you and I. Just as Jesus, when he died, we, we see that the temple uh, curtain was torn. It was as though God was saying, I'm with you, and you have access to me. And as Jesus rose from the dead and, and sent his Holy Spirit and breathed on his disciples, we know that the Holy Spirit resides in us. It's as though God is breaking through that curtain, that blinder in our life, and he wants to live within you. This house, you may call it God's house, but God doesn't reside just in this building or in other church buildings that you've been in. God wants to live within you. And that's what they were trying what Stephen was trying to teach and to share with the Sadducees. I want us to never underestimate the power of asking forgiveness of others if they do not understand. But don't neglect to tell and inform people about Jesus. They need to hear. They need to respond personally to the Lord. We need to be prayerful praying that those blinders would fall off of people. So we've walked through how to live truthfully, how to be bold, and how to remove our blindfolds. I want to share one more illustration that I hope will connect with you before we pray. Imagine this. You're, you get out your phone and you send a text to God. And if you have a phone like mine, uh, which is an Apple product, it has, um, when someone else has an Apple product, I can see that they get the dot, dot, dot. Well, imagine yourself pulling out your phone and you're sending a text to God. 
And you see that he's read it. You see that he is considering responding. You see that dot, dot, dot. And when we see that dot, 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 we, we start to wonder, is God thinking or is he typing or is he, he going to tell me something? Is he going to give me this answer? And I think we are hurried and anxious in our prayers. Sometimes I sense that God is prompting me with thoughts that are straight from him. And I love to praise God when he gives me good thoughts. But there are other times when I remain selfish and those thoughts come to my mind that are not of God and I sit in my doubt. I sit in my fear and in my anxiety, in my worry and my selfishness. I have trouble comprehending what God could possibly be teaching me in this moment when perhaps he's allowing me to grow my patience muscle. Perhaps he's allowing my faith muscle to grow. So is, is your blindness causing you to miss out on God's bigger picture? Do you miss Jesus standing right in front of you? And perhaps that dot, dot, dot that I've described is God asking you to wait, to listen, and to grow your faith. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. God blesses those who went... Let me try that again. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Let's be glad together in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we gather in this space, as we pray together and we ask that you would enter into our thoughts, into our minds, and into our conversations, we ask, Lord, that you would help us to remove those blinders. I think so often I have blinders up. Lord, would you forgive me when I don't trust you? Would you give me a great boldness, Jesus, to live for you? And help me to see truth. And help those that are listening today to see truth. To live truthful lives. That we would be so bold. In the face of uncertainty, that we would be courageous. In the face of people saying nasty things and accusing us, that we would have your peace within us, and we would respond with patience, truthfulness, and boldness. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Help us to love you more completely today. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Once again, it is my delight to be with you in worship here today. I pray that the Lord blesses you and that you find your peace in him.